Welcome to Comic Culture. Your one-stop shop for discovering more about comic book characters, stories, and general analysis of these epic tales. So join us on this journey across mediums and multiverses to learn more about the amazing world of comics. I'm Trey. This is Jojo. And I'm Petey. Hey guys, how's your week been? Going great. How are you, Jojo? You look excellent as always. Tell us about your day for 30 seconds. I've been killing it. I feel like I feel like Deku cleaning up the beach. <laughs> that is a great spoiler. What you've been doing. <laughs> spoiler indeed. He's just trying to prove to us that he's just trying to prove to us that he read the, the assigned reading this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had to get my uh, my little uh, my little um, phrase in there just so that I can feel better about myself. You got it. You nailed did you it. Yell, did you yell plus ultra while you were cleaning up all that garbage today? And did you do like a cool anime, like fist in the air pump type thing too? When we were done for the day, I said, oh my goodness. That is the best gif ever. <laughs> when all my goes from skinny to buff and he says, oh my, oh my goodness <laughs> anyways we'll get into all of that in a few minutes so stay tuned everyone but before we can talk about my hero academia which is basically the theme we obviously have to do a breakdown of the last episode of falcon and winter soldier and more than anything else i think we also kind of want to talk about overall thoughts and kind of how we feel about the whole thing um, so I wanted to start this off before we break down maybe favorite moments and things like that. I think the most important thing that we try to emphasize on the show is characters. Um, so I want to take a few of the, the main characters and kind of assess how we, how we felt about them in the series. Um, so let's just dive right in. First one I wanted to talk about was obviously Falcon Cap, Sam Wilson, um, and just kind of get your guys' take on how how his arc was in the series to start out with what i was thinking um my biggest question was was this series necessary for sam wilson's arc and becoming captain america and i'll open it up to you guys and i'll give my thoughts after so jojo what do you think yeah that's actually a really good question because i i want to say absolutely not (laughs) But there are moments that I really enjoyed. And I think that just because I enjoyed them, did I think that it was necessary for for his arc to become Cap? Does that make sense? Uh, I don't think so, unfortunately. Like there there were a lot of highlights throughout the six episodes where I really admired Sam. And I felt like I definitely could relate to him more, understand him better. but I just felt like the story in the end, it was too too clean of an ending that it was just like, okay, we could have basically gotten this, you know, 10 minutes into the next movie of fleshing his character out. So that's that's actually a really interesting point because my main point was going to be, you know, obviously Endgame ends essentially with Sam receiving the shield and saying something to the effect of I'm going to do my best. And I presented this point to somebody in just kind of a casual discussion. Didn't the kind of the scene where he debuts and he saves the helicopter pilot, that could have almost been the opening action sequence to Captain America 4 and 
it would have worked really well. You would be missing, obviously, the introduction of John Walker, the little bit of character development that Bucky got, and then obviously the Flag Smashers and Sharon Carter. But but to say that you would have gotten 85% of what you needed if that had just been the opening sequence of the next movie is kind of sad. Um, I do think that these shows exist to give characters screen time that otherwise wouldn't get it. And from that angle, I appreciate it. And I think I need to lower my own expectations. As far as Sam specifically, I actually found a great panel while I was reading about the transition from Steve to Sam in the comics. And there's this scene where Sam gets up and he kind of, he's debuting in front of the Avengers as Captain America. And he's like, I'm not really one for speeches which I think is hilarious because the climax of the whole season essentially was Sam lecturing a bunch of politicians and, and it landed with me all right for about 60% of his speech. And then he just kind of hit a point where I felt like, all right, now, now you're just rambling. And it kind of went way too long and got kind of preachy in, in my opinion. But I do appreciate that the Sam that we have come to know would try to handle that via words rather than punches. At the same time, I didn't enjoy watching it. I thought it was way too much. And as a whole, the show really struggled, kind of choppy writing and pacing between the different directors. Yeah, those are all excellent points. I think I really struggled with this question. That's why I wanted to get your guys' take on it because I am kind of conflicted because I do see on one end where it's like, yeah, in the end, he just took the shield back. It's pretty straightforward. But then there's other moments where I'm like, no, it was necessary because you see him I think my take on him getting the shield after Endgame was the same thing that Bucky brings up in the show where he says, look, when Cap and I were kind of talking about you getting the shield, we didn't really factor in how it would affect a black man compared to a white guy having it. And I think just the exposition of Sam and Isaiah alone made the show worth it. Um, I think seeing how Sam responded to the new responsibility and how he takes on this shield and takes on the Stars and Stripes fully understanding that the shield's legacy isn't as clean cut as people may think it is or thought it was before, you know, everything with the flag smashers and John Walker and whatever you want to say. I mean, with Isaiah Bradley too, it, it has a deep history. That's not all good. So I think just that exposition and diving deeper into that was worth it. Um, and I think it made the series necessary. Uh, I also think we got more character development. Like you guys mentioned that we wouldn't have gotten otherwise, obviously everything with Sam at his home life, stuff like that wouldn't have popped out as much in in a movie so i get what they're doing so So, i would say yes but there's still some issues so i agree with what you're saying about isaiah being probably the strongest point of the show at the same time i've read this several times it's not just you to say that they were quote addressing kind of a black man being captain america didn't really address that because no one no one said or indicated in any way that Sam was passed on for Captain America because of his color. But it felt like a point that they were trying to make without actually making it. Like, like let's just be honest, Sam and John Walker were not equally qualified for that job. If you, if you, if you looked at it and you handed me your resume, Sam had been retired from the military for many years, was not the accomplished soldier that John Walker was. It's not like they were equal and then they chose John because he looked the part they didn't even make that point but i i think the show kind of wants to get credit for exploring being a back black man and being captain america but i don't think they did anyone any justice in that conversation except for isaiah bradley 
Does that make sense? Have you, you guys understand what kind of what I'm trying to say there? Yeah, I, I agree. And a lot of it also has to do with just the fact that, and this happens all the time with um, movies and trying to explore issues that are going on currently, um, which I do appreciate, but there's always that tinge. It's always kind of tainted with like, are they doing this just because it's kind of what's popular or are they doing this out of originality and creativity? And you can, I, you can argue for either, either one, but for me, it almost, it almost feels a little forced. And so it just doesn't sit. I, I just feel like I'm not able to enjoy it as much. Yeah, I, I do see what you guys are saying. I, I personally think overall, again, the conversations with Isaiah, that stuff was all really great for covering the issues. The part that felt really forced to me, it's something that Trey's mentioned before, is his monologue and the speech about being a black man and being Captain America. You're telling us there's an issue, but we really haven't seen you struggling with it. A better way may have been to show him as Captain America for a little bit and show people rejecting him. Where he rejects Captain America, he rejects it himself. So I think if they were to show other people, I mean, he says, oh, I can feel the stairs right now. And it's like, well, no, the only thing we've seen is people saying, hey, that's, that's my Captain America. That's cool. So I, I do see what you guys are saying. I still think that made the show worth it. I think it was necessary. I enjoyed everything with Sam. As I went back and rewatched episode six, I realized, you know, I do think he was obviously the highlight he was supposed to be. Most of my issues or concerns I have with the show weren't revolving around him. Do you guys have any other thing you want to say about that, that question? No, I totally agree with you. Like his, him saying that in the middle of his speech felt very random because again you they didn't show us that they didn't show anyone saying he shouldn't have been capped because he was black like which is i think comes up in the comics so they would have been right in line if they had wanted to have somebody say that but from the show to the audience that never happened so it was a really yeah a lot of things felt forced in this show that that is not the only issue uh or the only thing that felt very in your face without really having the proper weight behind it yeah um, just to end up with Sam, I just want to talk really quick, be positive too. Um, favorite moments with, with obviously with Sam Wilson. Um, Jojo, I'll let you take it off. What, what was your favorite, like one of your favorite moments of him in the series? Honestly, man, that opening scene and maybe this takes a little bit of, of specifically what Sam did, but that opening scene to the first episode, I was just like blown away with, with that action scene for what is considered a, a series, right? A, a TV, quote unquote, TV series. I was just like, wow, this is amazing. And it really got me excited, not just for the show, but specifically to see what Sam Wilson brought to the table when he's the lead, right? So that that was, for me, the highlight. Yeah, I agree. I thought they really did put the money into his animating his wings and giving him kind of the the time the time of day to show off what he could do pre and post receiving the shield probably favorite i I think i just appreciate these shows in the space of kind of characterizing these people and and i i think sam was really the only one to get that out of this show so i would say definitely appreciated the behind the scenes who is sam what makes him tick where does he come from how does he act with his nephews i think that's where these shows are going to either sink or swim to be honest so i thought with when it came to sam they very much succeeded yeah i think those are all great moments one thing i was going to throw off of that too 
um, is just the fact that I liked how they started the scene with a lot of aerial shots, the start of the show with the aerial and ended the big fight with him also in the air. Um, if I were your favorite action scene when he freaking throws the shield into the helicopter and basically tackles the guy, similar to what he did at the beginning of the show, but more extensive, thought that was really cool. Um, showing a little of the juxtaposition between him as Cap and him as Falcon. Um, similar moves, but a little bit more stylized and a little bit more reformed. Um, as far as his character, I agree. Just all the stuff behind the scenes. Um, but moving on from Sam, I want to talk about two more characters mainly. Um, Bucky. I have thought a lot about him, and I wanted to see what you guys think this show did for Bucky. I can tell you what I thought this show was going to do for Bucky and what it didn't do for Bucky. I wanted to see way more of what happened in the first episode of him exploring his mental state. We got that scene, and then we got Sam telling him to basically redeem himself, and we got him doing so. And there's no... I wanted to see him like have a breakdown or have some sort of thing that makes him more relatable as supposedly somebody who struggles with PTSD. Yeah, I thought yeah. there were a lot of missed opportunities. It's amazing to me how many times I feel like the MCU has now dropped the ball with Bucky. Just kind of overall, I mean, you go back to Winter Soldier, he doesn't even have a very big role. I think the best they've done for Bucky was Cap Captain America, the first Avenger. He was a great character. He was nothing in the Winter Soldier. He was, his role was annoying in Civil War. Um, with everything else, he's kind of just the guy that stands behind Cap and shoots people. I mean, it's really, it's that simple. And then this show, he kind of just became the guy who stood behind Sam and shot people, except he was kind of grumpy the whole time. I don't, I don't get it. Why, why, why did they, why they do him like that? <laughs> Yeah, I 100% agree. And there was highlights. There's certain moments where I was like, yes, yeah. this is like what I'm waiting for. Explorer's character. And earlier this week, I was talking to Trey and I and I, I just expressed, you know, it's frustrating because the most important element or the most important lesson that Bucky had to learn and it was completely glossed over and completely rushed and it kind of left you dissatisfied. Um so I, yeah, I was hoping for a lot more. I do think that there was glimpses of, of hope, but yeah, it ended up being kind of disappointing. Yeah. I, off of that, I'll say he did have moments. Um, I think the first episode, they set it up that he was going to be not a side character, but one of the main characters at the time was going to be split between the two. And they did that in the first episode. And then he slowly fades to the back. You get a few more cool moments. All the stuff with Wakanda was awesome. I would have liked to have seen more of that. I liked seeing him um, have to deal with the grief and have to deal with redeeming himself and um, going to that guy's father and telling him what happened. That stuff was cool, but I wanted to see more of a journey to get there. Whereas again, we get to this point where Sam basically tells him the same thing his therapist has been telling him the whole time. But now that he hears it from Sam, it's like, oh, I heard it from Sam. Now, now I can do it well, no, you, you should still have to explore what that looks like to you. And I really didn't see that. So yeah. yes, we got more for him and I'm glad we were able to get a little bit more out of him, but it wasn't near as much as I was hoping for and near as much as they let off in the first episode. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, a couple of things that stood out to me that I really did appreciate. And it was some of that classic Disney attention to detail. In the final episode, he walks past, I think, two army guardsmen and they kind of salute him and say, Sergeant Barnes. 
so there's this kind of recognition for Bucky that like, hey, you know, you're not the winter soldier. You're, you know, you're obviously you're established, you're a military veteran or active. I don't know what his status is, but that was kind of cool. And it was just kind of a, a small thing. And then um, I was very confused by the conversations that he had about kind of closing out his list and then his actual act to close it out. I I would have bet you guys a lot of money and I just going to keep losing money on this show that he was going to walk in there and he was going to say, I know what happened to your son. He was assassinated by the winter soldier. I'm sorry, but I don't think that he has to sit there and take responsibility for being the winter soldier. I mean, maybe that's a ridiculous take. Maybe everyone in the world feels differently, but it's like, he didn't have any control over his actions. He was hypnotized and then killed some people. He didn't do anything right. I mean, he physically could not have stopped himself <clears throat> he could not have done anything differently. And I actually thought that, that was going to be his moment of forgiving himself while also giving that guy the closure because they even, I, I'm pretty sure they even said you need to give him closure and you need to do it in a way that's good for him, not for yourself, which would have been saying he was killed by the winter soldier. I'm sorry, but not saying I did it. Like who do, why does anyone need to hear you say you killed him? You, you didn't really do it. I don't know. I find the whole thing very confusing. And that I think for me is the biggest issue is because we've talked about how Sam has always had to rely on Captain America. And I feel like with this show, it was, he had to rely on Sam that there's Bucky always had to rely he, on Captain America. Yes. Yeah, sorry. That Bucky had to rely on Captain America. And now that he has to rely on Sam or did, and it, it just feels like he always needs kind of this crutch. He always needs kind of this push and, yeah, I, I I was hoping, as Trey said, I was hoping that it really came down to forgiving himself because I I think that that that's very real. That's that's an issue I think that we can all relate to, is we've all made mistakes. Obviously, hopefully, nobody listening to the listening to this has made the same mistakes as the Winter Soldier. But we can all relate to the fact that we've made mistakes and we can learn from that. And most more importantly, we can forgive ourselves and move forward. Right. And he, he effectively needs to, what, forgive himself for having been captured by Hydra and brainwashed? I mean, I, forgive me if I don't think he really did anything wrong. I mean, I don't I don't see it, but we've now had to hear over the course of like five movies how Bucky can't forgive himself and nobody likes Bucky because of what he did when he was hypnotized. And it's kind of a stretch, I think, honestly. Yeah, I, I mean, they explored it in Civil War so much with Iron Man. And I remember... My biggest issue with that, just to kind of go on a rabbit hole for a sec, my friend and I always in that show talk about, I always thought Iron Man was so stupid, and he was like, well, no, but 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 he killed, Bucky killed his parents. I'm like, no, he didn't. Bucky was literally just a weapon who had no control over what he was doing, and then Iron Man flips on him. And so now we're seeing this again, where it's like, now Bucky's flipping on himself or something that he didn't have control over. So again, I, I, I see where you guys are coming from. I think we got some good things from him. Um, the Wakandan things really surprised me. I wasn't thinking we'd get any appearances from that, and I'm, I'm glad we did. Um, that was my favorite moment of everything with Bucky, probably. Um, but before we run out of time, I think it's time to move on to the most important character of this show, according to one of us. <laughs> according- Actually, I would <laughs> I would make the point that this show existed almost solely yeah. to introduce John Walker because you could have done, like I said, you could have done everything you did for Sam at the beginning of Captain America 4 it would have made complete sense. It would make sense that the next movie with him as Captain America would be a transitory movie. I don't think anybody would have even been mad. So 
if there's any doubt in anybody's mind whether or not John Walker is going to stick around, I mean, Val's final words to him are keep your phone on. I would, if we never hear from John Walker again in three years, I will come back film another episode, say this show was a complete waste of time. And I would mean that because you introduce him and you introduce Sharon and I've read a lot of reviews lately and most people feel like Sam and Bucky were, I mean, kind of the most boring parts of the show, whether it was cathartic or deserved, whatever, but it wasn't that interesting. Did we learn anything that we didn't kind of assume about Sam? He was a good guy. He's from the South. It's kind of how I envisioned him the whole time. So I don't think it was anything groundbreaking. That- I don't know. The part about he has a boat. That was he has groundbreaking a boat. for me. Oh, I'm and sorry. Bucky is ever- right-handed. If you've ever been to Louisiana, you would not be surprised that, that Sam had a boat. Uh, the Bucky, yeah, the Bucky being right-handed. We've already talked about it. The bar is so low for the show that that was probably the best moment. Um, can I just roll into the next thing about John Walker? Because I oh, right ahead. I, I, I put you first in the discussion, so I'd let you have all, all the time you need before we, we respond. Okay, so I've done a lot of thinking. PD was asking me all week and giving me crap about how am I supposed to feel about John Walker? And I look at it like this. Episode one, you get this goofy guy who's trying to be Captain America. He knows he's not going to do it perfectly. But he's going to do his best. Episode two, you get more of that, right? They, ex- they do some exposition on his background. Episode three, you get this weird scene where he screams at somebody, do you know who I am? Complete outlier up to this point, right? That's just them trying to show that he has an anger issue. Episode four, pretty good guy, takes the serum, kind of goes crazy for about 30 seconds and kills somebody. Episode five, kind of goes back to normal, is kind of respectful to Sam and Bucky. Then they get in a fight, whatever. And then he gets screwed by the government. Then you go to episode six and he's back to the goofy guy from the beginning. He literally is like quoting Lincoln and clapping because he's like, man, Lincoln's the best. He's like your total goofball. So who, my takeaway from this is like, okay, PD's question, what version of the U.S. agent are we supposed to assume we're going to get going forward? And I have to think that it's going to be the episode one, two, and six, where he's kind of goofy. He's going to screw up a little bit but he's trying because nothing else really makes sense. Why else would you close it out like this where he kind of goes back to being kind of exactly what he was at the beginning. I mean, he gets his new suit and he's like, it's the same. It's just black. And then you could just tell how hyped he is to have a role and to be a superhero. And that's kind of what they showed us at the beginning. Does that, I mean, does that sound reason like a reasonable expectation moving forward? I think it is reasonable. I think with, uh, to the point that you're making, the writers, because there was a different writer for every two episodes, right? And it feels like, you can tell, you can tell that these writers had a different vision for John Walker, right? Yeah. And you kind of go on this roller coaster ride and in the end, yeah, you kind of feel, actually, you don't really feel anything. You're just kind of lost. You don't know what to think of them. You don't know um what to expect i guess i mean i hope we do get that same guy because as as many of you who have listened trey was defending u.s agent and rightfully so because he was right about who u.s agent would end up being or who he should be portrayed as whereas pd and i we were we didn't like this guy (laughs) at all and i did like that at the end of the season i I enjoyed his character. I just wish that it was more consistent. Yeah, so I I understand where you guys are coming from, but I'm still just so dissatisfied. I rewatched episode six today, and I'm still, 
I really struggle after watching the series and I talked to Jojo about this. I was like, I just don't, I feel like I'm missing something. And after really kind of thinking about it, what pisses me off the most about it is I have no idea what's going on with John Walker. Cause whether or not I like the guy, I wanted to understand who he was. And I, I can't tell you, I, I, I get that uh, Trey believes he's, he's going to be the goofy soldier moving forward, but we haven't gotten enough screen time of that for me to really understand. And I feel like the John Walker in episode one, is pretty confident in himself as Captain America. And then in episode two at the beginning, you see him with his wife. But then at the end, when you see him with Val and his wife again, he's like just so, I don't know. He's really awkward and not that same confident confident character that we were getting. It's like, well, I liked the first, at least I knew what he was. He was the confident douchebag who was probably quarterback in high school. Like I, at least I can relate and know who you are. Right now, I'm like, were you the guy that got like his books thrown and was bullied in no, high school? I just that was your takeaway from that final scene. I, I thought he was back to being the kind of swagalicious. No, he's jumping up and down so awkward and doesn't. Wouldn't know what you to do. if you were an Avenger? I mean, that's the thing is, I thought he was. I think, and but this he's is not. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Yet. Well, okay, he's he not has an no Avenger. idea what's happening. Some random lady okay. gave him a, a blank card and said, "Come join my team." He's a superhero, and so he's the first person that's been like taking up the mantle of an existing superhero. That I think that's. That's fascinating. Like, that's an interesting... I want to watch that transition. That's way more interesting than watching Bucky mope for the 50th hour on TV. And, look. and here's the thing, though. If you look back at the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, kind of take this the eagle-eye view, here's my problem with it is... And this is a problem that they created for themselves because John Walker in the comics is not a special soldier. He served during peacetime and did nothing of note, okay? He got a super soldier serum after and then had aspirations to be a superhero. They've created this problem for themselves because they said he's, they created him as the single greatest soldier in American history, right? So they said, okay, we've made him up here and now we've got to convince you that Sam is a better fit to be Captain America. So I'm sorry, but the way they did that was not by saying Sam is better. They dragged him down. They had him take the drug. And honestly, when you look back at the show, it seems like a fluke, weird moment where he takes the drug, goes crazy, kills the guy. And they're like, okay, see, we told you, we told you Sam was better without actually improving Sam at all. And then now they're like, well, we don't want you to hate him because we want you to sell, we want to sell you his action figures later. So here he's back to what you kind of thought he was going to be. But with this weird blip where he was a crazy man for one episode. So yeah, I, I don't hate, I don't hate John Walker. I just, I hate the writing of what they did with him. So like, I'm not going to bash on you and tell you, John Walker's not a good character. I wanted to like John Walker by the end of this, or at least understand. I compare Trey and I were talking about this. I compared him to a crappier version of Punisher in the season two of Daredevil, where it's like Punisher and Daredevil 2 is doing weird things in the gray area, killing a lot of people. But at least I knew who he was, and it was like he had some redeeming graces. For John Walker, I'm like, I don't know what to think about you. Like you had a cool fight scene here and there. You went haywire and murdered someone, which is stupid anyways, because we see Sharon murder someone. And at the end, we find out she's a power breaker, but everyone else is still okay with her killing people. It's like the writing just was so awful for John Walker that it's like, no, I'm, I'm pissed. Like, I hope he has a better writer because I'd like to see John Walker take up a character role, not six different characters in the same series. And I don't know what to believe. Fair enough. I can, I can live with that. Jojo, do you want to butt in? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I will just say this, you know, um as we were talking I, re I really didn't know what to think of episode six after I watched it um it was kind of like WandaVision I think my expectations were just a little too high so it left me a little dissatisfied not that I didn't enjoy it I thought it was still okay 
Um, but I just, I know specifically talking about John Walker, I know that this is just going to be like a blip. This is going to be his Thor 2, his Iron Man 2 um, kind of series where it's like in the future, we won't even think about those movies. We won't even talk about them as far as the development of Thor and Iron Man in respect to those movies I just listed. Um, it was just kind of, I think, yeah, we'll have enough to really understand and grow to love U.S. Agent. I think he's going to be a big, big part of um, what Marvel wants to bring to the table and the future of the Avengers. Um, so that is one thing that I'm excited about. And one kind of excuse I give to to this series that I know it's kind of just a time killer for us as Marvel tries to roll out all these other other movies. Um, but, you know, it, I don't think it'll be a series that I, I rewatch, unfortunately, so. Yeah, I, I think you summed it up pretty well. And I think you talked a little about what I wanted to talk about, which is just kind of what's happening now, how they're moving forward. Um, unfortunately, I think, I think we're at a time, but we kind of broke down everything that I think we all probably wanted to touch on. Um, does anybody have any other final thoughts before we move on to the next section? Okay, well, let's go ahead and move on to the character breakdown. Awesome. So this week, I'm actually really excited about this. And I, there's going to be, hopefully this doesn't get to Trey's head, but I have to apologize because Trey has been begging me for years, literally years to watch My Hero Academia. And... I started watching it last year and I only got through probably the first half of the second season and then I stopped watching it and he asked me just a couple of weeks ago, hey, do you think you'll you'll continue watching it? And I told him that I just didn't have time, but now I want to watch it. <laughs> like that's, that's all my top priority things to do is to watch um, my, my hero. And it has to do just with Shoto Todoroki. I think this character, I mean, he just looks awesome. Let's just talk about that first. Except for this one weird phase in the beginning where he freezes over half his own body. But besides that, he does look awesome. Oh, good call. Yeah, I actually forgot about that. It's like a frozen <laughs> chunk. So did the like writers. Frozen, they, like they, rock. they just moved on from it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, good point. But he... Honestly, he's the coolest character, and he has one of the saddest backstories, like some of the saddest, like childhood trauma. Um, and I just respect him so much because, despite all that, despite the terrible, abusive relationship that not only he has with his father, but what his mother and father had, um, he still wants to be a hero, and which is pretty awesome. So let's get into it a little bit. Um, we'll talk about his. Um, powers we'll talk about um, kind of his story and yeah so Shoto we actually don't meet until I believe the second half of the first season as far as the reading that we did as far as the reading that we did he does he's not even in the reading mm -hmm. at all um, but he's probably I would say probably the second most important character popular character 
he's he's up there he's up there in popularity they actually do publish an annual my hero academia popularity list i would say he probably slots in right behind deku and bakugo for the students it's like a clear very clear third though for sure yeah yeah um so let's talk about it when we get introduced to shoto we see that he he only has these ice powers or at least that's the only thing he shows and then um we find out actually that he his other half can produce flames and can so it's it's pretty awesome very much yin and yang oppositions and also very very powerful um in the fact that i mean if you look at like pokemon just like the elements and stuff right he's he's literally he's able to comp combat even himself right he can kind of cancel himself out which is a pretty awesome power um, but we find out that he doesn't like using his fire because of the relationship that he has with his father who's endeavor um and i know that trey will probably get excited once we once we do a spotlight for him because he's a he is also a very interesting and very very complicated character he's a, he's a jerk so trey's gonna spend a lot of time defending him i'm noticing <laughs> noticing a trend yeah, exactly but yeah like i said and maybe maybe we can go back to that because you didn't actually comment on the fact that i gave you all this credit for me jumping on the my hero bandwagon i have plenty of things to say <laughs> I will point out that that was actually the second formal apology I got this week. I received one via text from PD who said he would not go on the podcast and pu- publicly apologize. But the text, I do have it screenshotted. He too apologized and said, I didn't give manga a fair shake. So that's, I'm actually two for two and uh, well, I'm feeling pretty good right now. <laughs> I've got plenty to say too. So we'll get into it. <laughs> awesome. So, we find out that um, there's a really cool moment between Deku and Shoto when they face off um, and they're fighting each other. And Deku basically is telling Shoto that he can't be the very best. Like if he wants to be a hero, he has to give it his all. And whatever internal struggle that he has with this um the struggle that he has with his father and inheriting his, his the same power, or at least part of his body inheriting the same power, he needs to set that aside in order to be to be a hero, to sacrifice himself, to to save other people. And I think what I enjoy the most about My Hero Academy is that these characters are you you end up falling in love with all of these characters. They all have very very deep rooted backgrounds. Um, and so I guess my first question for the both of you is up to this point when, when Deku and Shoto have this moment, what is kind of the impression that Shoto gives off? And then what's the impression that he gives off after this fight with Deku? So what's so interesting about, about Shoto is you hit on a lot of the the main things endeavor his dad is the number two hero is the most competitive man in the world essentially and has a fire quirk superpower and he he kind of set up an arranged marriage right he specifically married a woman who had ice powers so that he could have children that didn't overheat when using their power like him so that when when you factor that in it puts a lot of weight behind the fact that he refuses to use that power because that is his father's sole goal in life 
is to create either be the best superhero that he can be or get his son to be and, and his son is the fourth attempt right shoto is the youngest of four uh, to be this perfect superhero and so just by by refusing to even use it it's just a huge slap in the face his father is known around the world um and then you get this fight with deku where it's not an arrogance thing where shoto is saying like oh i can beat you with one hand behind my back but what deku is all about is about slowly and painfully working up to his maximum potential that is the entire show so far as you get a running commentary on what percentage of his power he's able to use. So Deku is all about improving himself and hitting that 100% of what he's capable of. And he sees Shoto, who has just as much potential as him, literally handicapping himself at 50%. And he basically says, like, that's insulting to yourself and to everyone around you. And he said, I don't even want to beat you if you're not doing your best. So I'm going to sacrifice myself to make sure that you, you are the best you you can be. He basically... It's a really powerful scene, actually. It's it's an awesome it's an awesome scene. I think Shoto comes out of it a much better person. Yeah, I think my biggest thing with Shoto is, I mean, when you first meet, he seems very indifferent um, and very ironically cold. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then during this fight, I think you really see him just basically like shine, which is really cool. I think. Deku does a good job of bringing that out in people, um, whether or not they like it or not. He wants them to be their best too. And I think, uh, I think it creates a very interesting relationship between the two of them because Shoto gains such a respect for Deku who wouldn't fight him unless he fought at full capacity. And it helped to- Shoto to really realize, oh, by, by not using my full capacity, I- I'm being an insult too. So it's okay for me to use my other half to use this gift from my dad even if I don't fully accept um, him as my father or him as my mentor I'm gonna do it I'm gonna use his power but I'm not gonna be trained by him or use it in the way he'd like me to yeah and I think I think as well what's another reason why I've really enjoyed um, diving into Shoto and then reading the My Hero um, comics is that with Shoto, he has this moment with Deku, but then you see that he continues to struggle with that. And there's moments where he, he really can't, he doubts himself and he really can't uh, focus um, on using that. He can't control it exactly. And as Trey said, it's because he's, he's handicapped himself and it's, it's due to this relationship, this bitter relationship that he has with his dad. Um, and what's worse is that really the only person that he connects with is his mother. And then we find out because of how abusive the relationship is between his parents, that his mother can't even stand the one side of Shoto because it reminds her of her husband, which is very, very tragic. And I don't know at what age Shoto was when this incident happens, but he hears his mother saying that and she has this mental break where she she sees him and she throws boiling water. And that's why he has that scar on his face. So then he she gets sent to um, kind of a like a psych ward. Um, and what I really like about Shoto, which is I'm going to try to make that connection to Sam Wilson in the fact that when Sam has that conversation with Isaiah, in the end, Sam decides for himself what he what's best, right? When he when the decisions are tough. 
and you see that time and time again with Shoto. He decides to go back and see his, mo his mom and rebuild that relationship. He decides when they have the chance to intern, to go and intern where his dad works, right? And explore that relationship, see where, and see what he can learn from, not, not necessarily his dad, but in this moment, what he can learn from the second best hero um, in the world. And I think that the level of maturity that he has um, really makes him stand out from, I mean, his power in itself, the, what his powers are really makes him stand out. But I think his maturity as well, because uh, similar to Bakugo, he's very serious, very intelligent. He doesn't um, underestimate his opponents, but in contrast, he's not arrogant. He doesn't come off as brash or crude um, that Bakugo does. So I think he's very well balanced, but at the same time, he does um, kind of have those struggles um, do you guys have any thoughts on on what what was just talked about? Yeah, I I love Shoto. I think he presents a really cool viewpoint um, when talking about the students because a lot of them are very much children, uh, and and they show that a lot. And he's really just been forced to grow up a lot. And they do go in as far as. Um, kind of explaining he, how competent he is, even before using his his firepowers at all, he was one of only two students to get into the academy on referral alone. So he didn't even have to take the entrance exam. And then as they try out and they test themselves, he just routinely is just steps above everybody else. I mean, he's extremely competent, very mature, always makes, you know, kind of just always makes the right decision. And, and like Jojo said, he continually makes these mature adult decisions he is not the only kid in his family who was screwed over by his dad. In fact, he was probably the least screwed over because you come to find out that the other kids didn't manifest the fire at all, really. Um, and as a result, we're not abandoned, but he stopped training them. And, and I will say this without going into too much detail. I don't know that Endeavor is somebody that will get a chance to spotlight at, in depth. I would love to. I don't want to say that the show and the writers walk it back. But I think like all good complex characters who come across poorly at the beginning, they show you what's kind of going on behind the scenes and why he is the way he is. And I think as Shoto starts to see that is when he's able to compartmentalize his dad versus the number two hero and someone who can teach him a lot. And he, and he can kind of compartmentalize his dad and recognize his flaws, but not also write him off entirely as a human being. I think that's something that most adults struggle with. If somebody has a bad quality, it's so hard for us to recognize the good and maintain, you know, a relationship or work with them. It's so much easier to be like, I don't know, that person's annoying. I'm just not going to work with them at all. When maybe they have eight other very good qualities and we're kind of just tossing them to the side. And, and Endeavor is actually a very interesting character. Not all is as it seems with him and kind of his treatment of his children. And what's fascinating, though, I mean, regardless of his motives and maybe he's not, you know, kind of evil like they come across being he goes on a very long and a very in-depth atonement arc. I mean, he very much knows that he screwed up, knows that he didn't treat people the way he should have and humbles himself and says, he's going to make things right. And he does. And what's cool about Shoto is he's willing to watch the process. He's not going to make a determination, but he's willing to say, Hey, go on your journey, be a better man. And, and if I'm happy with the results, you know, we'll, we'll move on. And that it's really, it's a really mature emotional relationship. 
Yeah, one thing I was going to say is I think Todoroki's definitely the most serious of the characters, which is a good contrast to the rest of these characters. I think one of my my biggest problems with manga and anime that I've had is just the the lightheartedness on big events that sometimes seems like it should be more more heavy. And Todoroki brings that contrast to Deku, who I, I like Deku a lot, but he is overly optimistic about everything. And it gets a little annoying sometimes with his just so not even just has so many aspirations, but he's just so optimistic all the time, which is good, but it's a little annoying. And then you see Todoroki, who's not necessarily a pessimist, but he is definitely uh, more realist with what he sees and what's going on. And it makes sense with his past. I mean, having a dark past with his, his mom basically being an arranged marriage. And I think it's interesting that I... So I'm a big Avatar fan, as you guys know, and I, I've always kind of compared him to Zuko, who's a character in Avatar that also has a big red scar on his face. But what's interesting in this show and in this comic series is even though his dad's the, the guy that is the, the result of, sorry, the cause of his scar, it's actually his mom who gives it to him. Whereas in, in Avatar, it's his dad burning him in this. I keep, I always want to think it's his dad, but no, it's his mom. And so it's interesting to think that also complicates not only his relationship with his dad, but because of the complication with his dad, his mom abused him as well. And so it creates a lot of intricate relationships between him and his family. Yeah, I think it, it really highlights that, you know, family relationships are complicated. Like in real life, they, they really can be complicated. And it's not so much that even though he he got along with his mother, like she obviously hurt him and not just by leaving him that scar, but mentally really, really hurt him and and damaged him. There's, there's definitely trauma there. And then same with Endeavor. And, you know, there's one thing that I do respect because I, I, just from the little bit that I, that I dove into getting ready for this and with the, the comic that we read, is um, at, at one point All Might retires. And so Endeavor kind of becomes is selected number one and he's furious and what I respect is the fact that the reason why he's so upset is because he didn't want it that way and you know that Endeavor is a hard hard worker and what's great about my hero again is that these these characters are heroes Endeavor and Bakugo and there's other characters that come off as villainous they come off as antagonists and you kind of have to check yourself and realize, oh, wait, they're, they, they're actually heroes. Like what they're doing and the root of it is actually a positive thing. It's actually a good thing. And I think um, kind of coming back full circle with Shoto is that he has, again, that level of maturity where he sees that and he understands that. And it's not just his own drive and his own motivations that influence him being a hero, but also the influence of people around him and also uh, just having that pure desire to save people. Um, And so that was my biggest takeaway from Shoto. And because of that, I'm going to dive headfirst into my hero. Who knows, maybe I'll read all the comics, catch up to to Trey here and uh, hopefully outsmart him when it comes to knowing this show. All right, so quick, quick resume recap. I have watched the show four times, start to finish, I think. And how much have you read? I have read every issue. Um, and then I kind of started over. Well, 
sorry i started reading where the show ended about a year ago i've read probably 100 issues and then i just started over it's almost shot for shot though so it's like not quite but if you if you read it most of that happened on screen so i feel like i've read it already even though i'm technically reading like i think i'm on volume five reading it for the first time if i could add one more thing about endeavor that i think is super cool because he gets kind of his his redemption arc starts kind of at the end of um, season four, which is probably like volume two or issue like 200. Uh, they show you really the difference between All Might and the rest of the heroes. All Might is Superman, essentially. There's almost no difference except uh, he can't really fly. And it, that's the point. It's a parallel for Superman. And they show kind of this hero ranking system. All Might's number one. And it's like, there's no one's even close, right? Endeavor sits at number two and then everyone else is behind him. And they, they kind of point out that because All Might is so far and away the number one hero, no one really tries to, to, to pass him or to keep up in any way. They just kind of wave and think, ah, oh, that's All Might. You know, that's unattainable. I don't even, I wouldn't even bother. And they go to show you that, that while 99% of the pro heroes feel that way, Endeavor is unique in that he never stopped trying to catch All Might and it caused him to work more efficiently. And actually the reality is that when you get to start to break down kind of what makes a hero in Japan, there's a lot of ways in which Endeavor is probably almost as good, if not maybe a little bit better. He solves so many crimes. His teams are so organized. It, All Might is very much like a on his way to work, he stopped 12 crimes because he's so physically capable and he just helps everybody. But he's also kind of unorganized and probably doesn't run the best organization while becoming a pro hero in Japan is about running really a massive corporation that helps people. And Endeavor knocks that out of the park. He's a great leader. His team is well-trained. Everyone is organized. And yeah, All Might just happens to be more physically capable, but, and, and he works very hard, but it's a very interesting dynamic and one that you ultimately will come to very much respect Endeavor, I think, if, if, you, if you go into it with an open mind. That's a good point. I didn't think about it because it is so business oriented. I, that's an interesting point because, I mean, Foresight, really quick, and the intern of All Might, basically, they have a terrible relationship after. They really don't come to terms with each other to the very end with Foresight and All Might. So it's interesting that the one person he has underneath him that he that respected him ended up leaving him. So Oh, yeah. Yeah, he... All Might's very much like, no, I can kind of do it on my own. He's very secretive, not not afraid to work with other people, but but also a little bullheaded sometimes. And and yeah, he, uh, P's referring to uh, Sir Nighteye, who is kind of his foil in a lot of ways. It, it's very interesting. All Might is supposed to be the stereotypical American, even looks completely different. And then Sir Nighteye is actually uh, drawn and characterized to be a kind of a stereotypical Japanese uh, person and they have very different ideals very different ways of doing things and carrying themselves so it's it's kind of interesting to see that reflection um yeah. of their own culture yeah sweet awesome guys i as i said i'm excited to uh dive into this and this is a good transition into the the first volume of my hero yeah so we've given you I think in the past we've talked about Eraserhead. Now we've talked about Shoto and we've, we've given kind of an introduction to this, this world of superheroes in Japan. A quick recap. You basically have a society that is protected and supported and propped up by professional heroes who live and die by these rankings. All Might, essentially Superman is the number one hero. Endeavor, who we just talked about, is number two. And then it kind of gets smaller characters from there on out. Um, they are paid. They 
are judged based on their actions, how, how many lives they save, how many crimes they stop, how quick they are to respond to, to crimes. A fascinating approach to superheroism, and it's very unique. And, and the reason that the world got to this point is because um, it's kind of some kind of future date where roughly 80% of people at this point are developing superpowers. And I, obviously, when you've got a world of 80% of people with superpowers, your protagonist has to be different and unique, right? So we start out this story talking about a young man without any superpowers uh, named Deku. His name is Izuku Midoriya, and he is affectionately known as Deku, which is kind of an insult, I believe, in uh, Japanese. So that's kind of an interesting talking point that comes up in volume one. But he kind of takes it and makes it his own, which is pretty good kind of parallel for what he does with everything. So he's he's quirkless, he's super powerless, and he goes to school with the biggest jerk in the show, which is Bakugo, who is extremely talented. Uh, you could call it a rivalry, except that there's really no competition to speak of. Bakugo wins everything, and he's very mean, and Deku just tries really hard, and very much the Rudy of this show. They are going home from school one day, very typical. Bakugo was bullying him. Deku was studying pro heroes, watching them in the streets, wishing he had a superpower. And um, Deku is attacked by kind of a sludge monster. They don't really go into any more detail than that. He kind of tries to take over his body, just happens to cross paths with his all-time hero, All Might, who saves him and kind of puts the villain in a bottle. And Deku so freaked out to meet his superhero. He, he can't even put the words together to ask him for an autograph, but Typical All Might, he's already signed his notebook three times. And as All Might goes to kind of jump slash fly away, Deku grabs onto him and All Might's, you know, 300 yards in the air and he realizes his kid is hanging onto him for dear life. So he stops, he tries to get the kid to leave him alone. And all of a sudden he starts coughing and this giant muscular Superman type figure coughs and then collapses into this scrawny gaunt figure. And we realize that this is, I don't want to say the true form. They, they refer to him like that a lot. This is kind of his relaxed form. And he goes on to explain to Deku that he can only be buff and use his superpowers for about three hours a day. So this is a pretty eye-opening moment for Deku. But in this moment, he asks his, his hero, he said, hey, I, I don't have any superpowers. Everyone's telling me that I can't be a superhero if I don't have powers. What do you think? You're, you're the greatest superhero of all time. And he, he lets him down hard. He says, no, there's no way. You got to be realistic about things in life. And he walks off and we come to find out that that sludge hero that he had <laughs> captured in a bottle had gotten away. And lo and behold, it starts attacking the only other character we've really met up to this point, which is Bakugo. And Bakugo is you know almost dying at the hands of this monster and all these heroes are, are kind of on the scene, but none of them are well-equipped to stop this sludge monster. And they're kind of saying that out loud. Oh, my superpower, it's not going to work. I can't do anything for him. And Deku walks up, sees his, kind of his friend, his schoolmate in trouble, quirkless, powerless, completely helpless. He runs up to try to help him, uh, only to catch the eye of All Might, who had just told this kid that, no, no matter what you do, you can't be a hero hero powers or not he tries to help his friend basically to no avail right the kid's completely helpless and weak and scrawny but all might sees him is inspired to push himself past his limit which will ultimately cause him a lot of pain and saves them both that's kind of i don't know i felt kind of drawn out there but i feel like it was important to understand that up to this point in detail 
uh, following this situation, All Might kind of tracks Deku down and says, kid, I want to apologize to you. I told you that you weren't going to be able to be a hero, but I actually have a secret. I can pass my superpowers on to someone and I feel that you are worthy to inherit my power. So up until this point, we've gotten kind of a very cut and dry hero origin story. It, what did you guys think at this moment when you found out that the greatest hero in the world had kind of a legacy title that he could pass on? Did that catch you guys off guard? Was that, did it seem tropey to you? No, I actually thought it was pretty cool. Um, and it's kind of what you expected. I actually thought when I first, um, cause I actually watched the first season before reading this, but I actually thought that Deku was just going to be like this late bloomer that his powers were all of a sudden going to just come about and that All Might was going to see his character and kind of take him under his wing. Um, But then you find out that, no, it's, I think it's, actually, I won't go down that road, but um, yeah, I I thought it was pretty cool. And even funnier that he just ingests his hair because he has to just take his DNA and I'm just like, just seems a little too easy. <laughs> it's like someone could have accidentally received this power. <laughs> they do clarify it does have to be um, willing. The the current bearer of the superpower has to willingly give up the power. So you can't just like lick up some other blood and all of a sudden, right? Super. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. I'm glad that that was clarified because yeah, well, clarify like like a con. season later. So they maybe maybe they didn't catch it. They were like, yeah. what if somebody made out with all my? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I I don't know. I'm trying to think back when I when I first watched the first the first season. Um, and I do think it felt, I don't know if tropey is the right word. I wasn't taken aback by it. I knew he was gonna get power somehow. Um, so I don't know if I'd say I was taken aback by it. It didn't seem tropey because it is different. I think the typical thing would have been for him to be a late bloomer which seems pretty standard. So I like that it was different from that. Uh, What I like most about this show is that, yes, he gets the power, but he has to work for it. So it's not like, oh, he gets the power and all of a sudden he becomes all might. It's, yeah, you have the power, but it's just in your system. You have to work to be able to maintain it and to be able to get it to that same level that all might has it, which I like a lot. Obviously, it's the whole premise of the show. Yeah, I, I will agree with you. I remember I was told I would really like this show and I watched the first episode and I was like, yeah, I'll probably like this, but it didn't blow me away. It seemed very much like, okay, all of these things had to happen to get here. Now I'm curious what you do with it. So PD hit on probably what, probably what is the most interesting thing about My Hero Academia and why it has so, I have so much respect for it and the writers. The, the powers that they have are all so nuanced. And I don't know if that was clear when we spoke about Endeavor and Shoto, but for example, Endeavor is a hero who uses heat. Uh, all of his powers are, have to do with flames and heat. And it takes an incredible toll on his body. And if he can't regulate his body heat, he'll give out and he'll no longer be able to use his powers. When was the last time that a character from like Marvel or DC had any kind of real cap on what they could do physically, right? I mean, Iceman never gets too cold. Hellfire never overheats. Those are just like things they gloss over and they try to do a lot more. So I get it, but it is what I feel is unique about My Hero Academia. And so you've got this interesting scenario where a very small boy who is not physically fit really in any way inherits 
is going to inherit the power of the greatest superhero of all time, who is literally like three times taller than him, three times heavier than him. He's a massive human being. And they address it, though. They say he basically says, <laughs> you have to train because if you just inherit this power, he says, if you use this power, your, <laughs> your limbs will explode or something. <laughs> it's very like in a lot of ways, it is very anime, but it's it's also very self-aware. Like if you're reading the comics, like they make fun of themselves. Like All Might will walk into a room and one of the characters will be like, he looks so cool. He's drawn totally different than the rest of us. And I just personally, that's a thing that resonates with me is a lot of fourth wall breaking. It's probably why I like Deadpool. So I, that's a that's kind of an anime manga trope. But so Deku does do the requisite training and cleans up a beach, does a little Rocky montage, comes away pretty, pretty ripped after about 10 months. And you get to see his work ethic there. He's an extremely hard worker and a little bit of personality from All Might. And so, like Jojo mentioned, the day has come for him to inherit the power and ironically run off and take his giant entrance exam at this very competitive superhero school. And so he plucks a hair and he says, eat this. And what's funny is Deku is actually narrating it himself, saying, this is how I always dreamed it would be. It's just like something out of a comic book. And then he says, eat this. And you could just tell, like, they wanted to flip it on its head. Like, yeah, this is not like any other comic book you've read. He's about to eat the hair of his greatest... (laughs) idol and then he will somehow inherit those powers but this this next part is what sold me on my hero academia and it's a shame that reading it you don't get the full effect of the show because the score that goes with the show is top notch and there's a song called uh you say run and that's in the my hero academia soundtrack and personally it sounds super geeky but whenever i'm reading this, the manga i listen to this song because it makes it feel like i'm watching this show because these things are carry a lot of weight because in a lot of times because of the music that are that's behind it so up to this point he hasn't used his powers yet he just got it this morning he doesn't have any idea what it is how to use it what to do they've got this entrance exam and basically they have to take out villain robots and you know all at the same time it's kind of a mad dash battle royale whoever finishes with the most points wins each robot is given a certain amount of points based on how difficult they are to overcome and Deku kind of has this chance encounter. He trips on his way in, very heroic. And this girl has a power to make him float. And she kind of catches him and is like, oh, I'm sorry. And she's like really sweet. And she kind of runs off. But, you know, obviously makes an impression on a 14-year-old boy. That'll come up again later. So they're in this competition. And Deku is trying to find a way to take out a robot without using his powers. Because, again, has no idea what they are, how to use them or anything. And keeps thinking that his arms are going to explode. And all of a sudden, there's about a minute left. And there was this fourth type of robot that they had explained was worth zero points. It was basically like a giant kaiju Godzilla robot. They said, basically run away from it. This is just kind of a, an obstacle for you. There's no points for defeating it. So this robot shows up and Deku has zero points and everyone else has like 30 points and they all start running away. And as he starts to run away, he sees the girl who helped him earlier is crushed under a bunch of rocks and is about to get stepped on by this robot. And you, you want to think that this is a school event and so no one will die, but that's, frankly, she probably would have gotten massively injured. That really is kind of a reality of the situation. And in the, in the show, this just starts off to this epic moment where this, the song starts when Deku turns and looks, has no idea what he's capable of, but just like the scene where Bakugo is getting eaten by the sludge monster, he turns and runs towards this giant robot. And All Might is watching because he ends up being a teacher at the school And he says kind of something to the effect of these robots don't offer any points, but what they do offer is opportunity. And Deku, this robot is like, 
like 100 feet tall. I mean, it's bigger than all the buildings in the area. And Deku jumps. You see the power go through both of his legs. He jumps hundreds of feet in, feet in the air and with one punch knocks the entire robot down. And up to this point, has done nothing heroic, has never had a superpower. This is the first manifestation of the power and knocks the robot down, breaks it completely. Uh, he kind of looks down, sees that he's broken both legs that he used to jump and his arm that he used to punch. And he starts to fall out of the air. Uh, it's, it's a pretty awesome moment where he manifests it. And, and I think about that a lot where something that's insurmountable is you're presented with something that's insurmountable and you're given the opportunity to try and you're given kind of the opportunity to show who you are. And I think that's something that I, I can relate to all the time. Well, did that, did that hit you guys with any emotional impact? Did you, were you guys able to take that and kind of extrapolate it and apply it to your lives at all? Yeah. So one thing I'll say, first of all, I think this is a good point to mention this. Um, you mentioned how it's not as intense in the, the manga. And I will say that's my one issue is I, I'm loving the anime and I've loved this series for a while now. Uh, it is harder for me to get this emotion out of it in the manga. So if I'm going to tell you I was impacted by the comic, I'll be honest, I really wasn't that impacted by it. But the show, yes, it's the first time you see him use the powers. Anytime they show him using uh, his powers called um, One for All, you see it kind of surge through his body. And I love seeing him jump and hit this guy to the ground. Again, you see him take down this monster who's really not worth anything and just to do it to save someone. Uh, I, I think it was very impactful. It's very tropey in a good way where a hero should do that. It's a pretty simple thing for a hero to make that kind of sacrifice, obviously, to test of a true hero if they're going to do what they should when no one's watching, when there's no great consequence um, that's going to benefit them in the long run. And you see that with Deku right here. Yeah, I think, you know, we all know, regardless if you're into comics or not, you, we all know the line of with great power comes great responsibility. But what's cool about this is it shows with great power comes great consequences as well. Um, and we know that, you know, for, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And you kind of get that from when All Might tells him, like, your limbs would explode if you don't train for this. And so the first time he uses it, like, it's catastrophic. He just broke his legs and broke his arms, or his arm, his one arm, and he's falling out of the sky. Like, this could very much be uh, uh, just a one issue where Deku dies, and it's just, like, this dramatic lesson to teach children of not to aim too high it didn't get picked <laughs> up for season two <laughs> it just ends there like it could have been it really could have gone down that route so did you say don't aim too high <laughs> yeah don't aim too high that's the lesson i mean never to let you write a story about a superhero <laughs> no i want to i want to see what, a what tie in a one hero just murdering himself doing having too high of but, aspirations but the point the point that i'm trying to make is the fact that it's, I mean, manga and anime is, I mean, we, we say comics is an exaggeration, but we could take that even further with anime and manga, at least from my point of view. But I think with My Hero, they do a good job of grounding it in the way that it's like, look, yeah, these, these people have great powers, but it comes at a massive cost, right? Like, um, Trey did a racer head a couple weeks ago, and the, the guy can't blink. The guy can't blink in order to use his powers. Like that, that honestly sucks. And for how awesome of a power it is, like the, 
the the cost of it is probably just as high as just as equal um and so that's what i really enjoyed about it and specifically for deku um this this kid really desires to be your hero and even though he's broken his arm and his legs and we continue to see this as he continues to break uh even his finger multiple times and try to focus his energy um it just kind of shows and highlights how how much he he desires to to be a hero yeah no and, and you hit on a great point that this reoccurring because again he inherited a phenomenal power i mean if he could manifest that power fully from day one he would be one of those powerful beings in the universe so they take a really interesting approach to it by having him catastrophically injure himself and gradually he will get to the point where he he only breaks a finger and then the finger's only swollen then he can use 30 percent of it without breaking himself but they take a similar approach to all might who we explained is very much like superman but all might's at an interesting stage where he's been injured and he he's his power kind of cuts out on him so He's capable of saving the children several times, but only to a certain extent, which makes for fa- makes for fascinating television. And I guess I'm slipping and talking about the anime a little bit. It makes for a great story. Even having this awesome hero who could very easily get killed. I mean, that's hard to do. It's hard to balance a world of superheroes. I would say that's got to be the hardest thing about world building in this space would be balancing it making it believable that this guy you just presented as being bulletproof could also be killed in the next second. If I ever get into writing comic books, that's probably the biggest challenge I think I will face. So the way they do it is awesome. And it ends up being a central plot point for Deku where he continually injures himself. For example, his plan for how to land after being 200 feet in the air is, well, I have one arm that's not broken if I time it so that I punch the ground right as I'm landing, maybe I'll generate enough force to bounce and then not die. I, that's a bad plan. And I think the, I think the episode ends. So like, if you're watching, if you were just happily watching this, <laughs> like I'd be like, Oh, he's no, he's screwed. That plan's not going to work. That's a terrible plan. And what's cool is, and there's all this attention to detail. The girl that he saved happened to just be able to reach where he's falling and typical My Hero Academia, you think she's gonna, she thinks she's gonna catch him or something. She slaps him across the face because her power activates when she touches something, and that was the only way that she could do it. She slaps him across the face so he's floating, and then she drops him and he hits the ground. And he's obviously three out of the four limbs are broken. Um, I will say, honestly, I had no idea how he was gonna get into school because again, zero points for defeating that robot, right? So you move on from this. He gets. There's a, there's a teacher that works at the school that can, that can heal the children, but she basically says, I can't do this for you that many times. You better not walk in here with three broken limbs again. Uh, your body won't be able to handle the recovery. And they leave you hanging for a little while. Of like, well, don't see a real plan for how he's going to get into the school. And, and kind of a cool moment, the, the girl he saved goes and she, she says to the kind of the judgment panel, uh, I heard the boy who saved me, I, I heard him saying he just needed, he just wanted to get one point. Would it be possible for me to give him one of my points? Like I had a couple points, even if it means I don't get into the school, would, would you please give him one of my points as a thank you for saving me? And at that point, they explained to the girl, uh, well, that's very sweet that they, they can't actually do that, but it's okay 
because they were secretly tracking uh, something called rescue points. And that was times where during the test, without telling anyone, without making it known, there were opportunities to help other people rescue other, other students. And anything really selfless was rewarded with hero points. So obviously jumping 400 feet in the air and breaking three limbs to save a girl for a robot that was zero points, netted him a total of like 60 points and earned him a spot in the school, which I thought was pretty cool. I didn't see that coming. Uh, maybe in hindsight, maybe it looks a little obvious, but thought it was really well done the first time. Did you guys have any expectations for how he was going to get in? I think my biggest expectation that this show always surprised me with over and over again is I expected something like that to happen, but I expected him to suddenly be at the top. And that's never the case. We see it later on in this volume too, when he uses his finger to throw the ball far. He throws it far, but he's still in last place. So he made it, he's doing okay. But yeah, he's always just getting by for the first several episodes in the first season, I'd say. So I like that they take these things that are tropey and then make them turn them on their side and say, yeah, he saved someone, but it's still barely enough to get in. Yeah, I agree. I, I do like the approach of grinding it out, the long journey. It's about the journey and maybe not necessarily the destination. And I respect that with um, with what they're doing with Deku. Well, with this first first comic, what they do with, with Deku. Well, I don't think it's too spoilery to say that I'm on issue. I think they just hit issue 300 he still doesn't regularly use a hundred percent. So when you say it's a slow burn, I mean, it's a slow burn. He's still not to where he can whip out and punch somebody with a hundred percent of his power without any consequence, which is a very compelling narrative. I think, I, you know, as we've said before, so it, it, it is a long burn. It's an enjoyable journey. They introduce a lot of really cool characters who are all very nuanced. And, and what's cool is you can relate to a lot, like depending on the person reading it, you'll probably find a student in the class that you relate to. And, and they're all very, very quirky characters. Uh, you, you do only meet a couple here in this first episode. You meet somebody named um, Tenya Ida. Uh, he's actually from a, a family of heroes who run their very, very own, very successful hero team. And he, he kind of wears this white suit of armor and has engines built into his legs. So again, very, very anime, manga-esque, but, but pretty cool. And then obviously... The girl we met was uh, Ochako Uraraka or Uraraka Ochako. And uh, they become kind of his two friends. And they, they present very different sides of, of the same coin. One's very extreme and, and serious in Tenya. And one is very kind of bubbly and sweet in uh, Ochako. So th those are kind of his two friends. Bakugo obviously gets into the school places, I think, first in the, the exam. Had a ton of points. Obviously, no rescue points. He was only focused on killing robots. And, and, and kind of a recurring thing with him is even as he's doing hero things, he always yells things like die or I'll kill you all as he's like saving, you know, he throws, he's throwing the ball right in the test that P mentioned and he throws it and screams die. And the other students in the back are like, did you just yell die? And then one guy actually goes up to him. He's like, wait, are you, do you actually want to be a hero? Like, I'm just curious. Like you, you give off a very different vibe. So if I would make, if I were to make an official recommendation, if somebody listened to this podcast and fell in love with the concept and said, all right, what's the best way for me to go about this? My official recommendation would be start with the anime. It's on Hulu. You can watch it in English, uh, watch it all the way through season four. And then I, season five is coming out episode by episode each week. I would watch through season five. And then from there, I would go into the manga and I would read it, read it from there. I enjoy the manga, but I think they, they do such a good job animating some of this, the more intense, the more nuanced fight scenes that that 
I would say if you can just roll right into watching it and then and then where necessary, go ahead and read read the manga once you get caught up. That's how I did it. Uh, and, and I have no regrets. I think that the show is phenomenal, honestly. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think my biggest thing is I, I enjoy the show a lot. Mango is fine, but the show does a much better job of adding in the other elements. Um, I think we're good to wrap things up for this week. So really quick, next week, what we've got in store, we're going what to talk about, about... Yeah, you got it. You got it. We're going to be talking about Nightwing, one of my favorite characters. Uh, and then we're going to read one of his arcs. And then we're going to also, for you Invincible fans out there, we're going to do some episode breakdowns of that while we wait for the next Marvel show to come out. We've also started our uh, very own comic fight club, which uh, seemed to be a relatively big hit on Instagram this week. We faced Batman versus Captain America. For those listening at home, kind of knew the outcome there. All the Batman fans came out in force, uh, but we were just looking for engagement. So we got what we asked for. And the consensus was Batman is, is uh, superior, not physically, but obviously well, you know what's interesting about Batman is he's yeah, the only one that's rabbit hole right he's now. <laughs> the only one that's ever allowed to plan for anything. So it's like, who would win, Batman or Captain America? Well, Batman would have a plan, so he would beat Cap. Oh, because because what Cap didn't have time to plan. Batman was the only one that got prep time before this Fight Club. I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. So I love you all. Thank you for for engaging with me this afternoon. Um, this may get cut out, so I don't know but I thought it was fun. We're going to be continuing the fight club. So we're taking requests on, on spot on, excuse me, on Instagram. And then if you leave us a five-star review, feel free to throw your fight club requests in there. And we'll use our own custom power grid to kind of match two heroes or villains or any combination of the above. And then we'll let people vote. Yep. Make sure you go vote. Make sure you uh, listen to our stuff on Spotify, Apple podcast, leave us those reviews. And we will uh, see you next week. Now, keep on